Welcome to Mander Tools. How to do a phone screen interview, part four. Here we go. Okay, going back to the point about they're prepared for it or they at least know it's coming. Even though our purpose is to say no, we don't want to be capricious, right? We don't want to say no to hiring a great engineer because he can't ride a unicycle, for instance. Interviews are an artificial reality, but a good interviewer, an effective interviewer, uses an interview in a professional way. Again, we don't need to elevate stress intentionally. We don't need to play tricks. We don't need to ask the hardest questions first. All of our data show those techniques don't help us. They don't predict well. That's the point of interviewing is predicting well. And all that said, tell me about yourself does something that only behavioral interviews do close to as well. Tell me about yourself creates numerous opportunities for probing about the two things that will make the biggest difference in this candidate's success or failure with your firm, and that is how and why they make the decisions they make and the behaviors they engage in around those decisions. Decisions and behaviors, and in fact, decisions are a subset of behaviors, but people don't think that way. Um, decisions and behaviors are the hallmark, the, 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 the fundamental substrate that blossoms into the good candidate or the bad candidate. And having someone tell you about themselves and then being able to probe about why they did what they did or how they did what they did is literally like interviewing at the root. That's exactly what it is, right? Yeah. Because the candidate's gonna give you a high level answer and you're gonna get a chance to probe. And speaking of high level answers, don't be surprised if a 30-year-old person gives you a tell-me-about-yourself answer that takes only one minute. Right. That's insufficient. Yeah, it is. But, but you know why they do it? Well, no. There's two reasons why people give a one-minute answer to tell-me-about-yourself. And for the record, guys, this cast is not going to teach you how to evaluate tell-me-about-yourself answers. We'll do that. Okay? Uh, our guidance on evaluating answers, we'll, we'll do that some other time. And for the record, to answer a question that I got recently from a client, great bunch of guys, you cannot ask interviewing questions for which the evaluation will become completely objective. It is impossible to write questions and answers, unless you're just going to give a test, um, that you can objectify the results. It can't be done. There, there is subjectivity. The smarter you are with the more experience you have, the greater objectivity you'll feel you're getting, um, but it will still ultimately be a subjective decision. Well, my point about taking one minute is there are two reasons why they do it. They're not prepared. In other words, they're saying to you, this is not important to me, or they've gone out on the internet and looked for guidance and the guidance says one minute. And we'll talk about that some other time about why one minute is dumb and wrong. And it has to do with interviewing history, believe it or not. But if you get a one-minute long answer, that's okay. You're a professional, smart, effective interviewer. All you have to do is probe like crazy. Now, I suppose there's a chance that their answer disqualifies them on, their, on its face, right? They say, yeah, I went from this job to that job to that job, and pretty much I didn't care about this or that or the other thing, blah, 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 blah. If you get that kind of vibe, you can just say, yeah, okay, no. Or, or as, who was it? Was it Danny? I think Danny told me she was interviewing somebody in her previous job when she was an executive. And she said, um, hey, I noticed here that there was a gap or something. He says, yeah, that was, oh, I was, I was fired. I was terminated. 
okay, tell me about that. Tell me about the time you were terminated. And the guy looked at her and said, which one? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I've, I've made my decision. <laughs> Bad um, answer. Bad yeah. answer. And guys, again, don't be surprised if a candidate's answer is 10 minutes because their weakness or their nerves cause them to talk too much. It may actually be a good answer, a 10-minute answer. I'd be surprised. I don't think I've ever heard one. But regardless, in either case, you're going to want to probe. Most importantly, when it comes to listening to their answer, don't be surprised if once you've probed repeatedly, their answer may have been one minute had you not interjected, but with your interjections, with your probes, you've consumed as much as 25 minutes in the interview. If you get a one minute long, tell me about yourself answer, and you only have one probe, you're not digging deep enough. You're not learning enough. You don't need to ask this question because it's not going to give you anything interesting. And we don't have time. We're already long on this cast, but we will spend some time in detail dissecting Tell Me About Yourself for everyone so that you'll know exactly how to figure out what's good, what's not good, and why. Good. No question. And some future cast. Okay. So after the Tell Me About Yourself question, um, now you start getting into the behavioral interview questions. Assuming, of course, that you have time, which you may not if the tell me about yourself question goes along. Yeah, I always assume just based on my style and, and it's my style. We don't guys, we don't teach my style. I do interviews our way and then I we all have our own style. But my style typically is to dig, 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 dig during tell me about yourself and to use that as 98% of my phone screen interview. That said, your style may not be that detailed. And so therefore, you may only take 15 minutes. And so therefore, you'll need something to follow up. And so there's no better questions than behavioral questions. And we're not going to go through how to ask them here. We don't really have time. And we have casts about how to create one if you need to. Uh, we also have our interview creation tool, which is available to licensees that we highly recommend. But in order to ask behavioral questions, you must have prepared them. Don't try to create behavioral questions on the fly. Generally, people whom you'll want to hire know something about them, and you don't want one that doesn't make sense, that doesn't hold together, that doesn't follow naturally from the job and the candidate and so on. So you'll need to have prepared those questions. And the best way to do it is to already have the screening interview, or no, I'm sorry, the, the, the full interview that you're going to do face-to-face -face already done, and you can ask one or two of the questions from there. I've had managers tell me, Mark, I always ask the first couple of questions that I would normally ask in an interview after Tell Me About Yourself. I ask those in the phone screen because those are the most important questions, and I don't want my most important questions to happen at the end of the interview and then to not get to them. I've had other managers say to me, I ask a couple of questions that aren't as important and that would normally come from the end of the interview because I so often don't get to them when I'm interviewing face-to-face. -face. I would be okay with either of those. I think if, if uh, a person's prepared and they do a good tell me about yourself, you'll probably find they're going to be fine on behavioral answers. And if they're not prepared, a behavioral interview question, no matter how easy or how hard or how important, is going to just put the nail in the coffin, if you'll pardon the expression. But have a couple of them ready sitting there so that if for some reason tell me about yourself only takes 15 minutes then you have time to ask a couple more questions 
if you ask, tell me about yourself, and you get a one or two or three minute answer, and you don't probe, and then you start asking behavioral questions, you may need more than one or two because I can't imagine that you wouldn't want to probe during Tell Me About Yourself. And so if you're not probing, I'm going, well, gee, well, then are you going to probe during behavioral interviewing questions? If you don't probe at all, I, I literally can't imagine that. We highly, I mean, guys, you cannot conduct a high-quality interview without probing. I, I simply do not believe it can be done. So I have an assumption here that just became obvious to me that you've got to do that. If you're not doing that, you're going to need more than one to two behavioral questions. And by the way, you're probably not going to learn enough to be able to say yes or no, I think. I mean, I, I would assume so. I'd have to think that through a little bit more. I can't imagine a manager not probing. If you're one of those managers who seems to think that not probing is okay, I wouldn't want to interrupt. I don't want to interrupt their train of thought. You are missing the point. It is normal conversational practice for many people. When you're working with a colleague whom you trust and respect, you're going to interrupt, interject, ask for clarification, and so on. Think about how many times you've briefed your boss and your boss has never asked a question. The chances of that are zero. And you're going to be the boss, or at least in the interview, this interview, you're going to be a boss. So you may need more than that, but we say to ask only one or two because we assume you're probing. And if you're probing and you ask, tell me about yourself, and then you ask one or two behavioral questions, there's no way that will take anything less than 30 minutes. Yeah, excellent. I totally agree. Can I go back to one thing you said about mm -hmm. the um, behavioral questions and using, perhaps using some or a couple that are on the long form, the things you're going to ask, assuming they get past the, the phone screen and they come visit you. Should managers worry at all or a little or a lot about asking the same question twice in subsequent interviews? Oh, good question. You know what? I should address that. I'm sorry. No, you shouldn't worry. Okay. I can go through the logic. Okay. Um, if you're taking the opposite position, and I know you're not, Mike, but if you were, you would say, Mark, there's no way I can know the person completely in two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours worth of interviewing. So therefore, why would I ask the same question? twice. And that's a completely logical approach. And it reminds me of the people who have told me, how can you ever read a book a second time? There's so many books in the world. Once you've already read it, why would you read another one? And the question, really what it boils down to is not, can we cover everything? We can't. The question becomes, have we covered what's most important? And if you're only going to spend 15 minutes talking to a person about a particular event in their life that they believe is important relative to the job, you're not going to get the whole story. No, no offense. They're not trying to hide anything. You just can't know everything about what they did 5, 10, 15 years ago. There are certain things in people's professional lives that matter more than other things. We're assuming the candidate knows that they should be able to talk about what they've done and how well they've done it in interviewing. And so therefore, we ask the same question uh, if we're the person asking it a second time because we want to be able to hear it and ask different questions or more detailed questions about something that they say is really relevant to what we're doing. We can't ask everything about everything. It's better to ask more about the things that are most important. This is a classic. It, it's just like an executive's calendar. You can't do everything. Yeah, and you shouldn't try to do everything. You know you cannot. I mean, raise your hand, again, not if you're driving, 
if you get all your work done every night before you go home. Mike, you and I have this conversation all the time. People don't, there's a, there's a moment when you start the process of going from a manager to an executive where you realize, I've never gotten all my work done. Right. Oh my gosh, that, you know what that means? That means therefore my entire decision process regarding work up until now has been wrong. Up until now, I've been saying, I got to get everything done. I got to get more done. Got to get more done. Got to get more done. Well, the moment you don't have to get everything done, more is not necessarily the criteria. Best is the criteria. And so therefore, there should be some things that you don't get done or that you're willing to get in trouble for. Same thing here. We can't ask all the possible questions in the world. We don't have enough time. So therefore, we want to ask the right questions and it's okay to ask the same question again. Let's assume that Horseman screens Danny Martin, and then both Horseman and Ozan ask Danny a question that Mark asked in the phone screen. You don't know the questions I asked in the phone screen, but if we have the same interviewing template and we both ask the same question, we don't run the risk of one of the major failures of non-structured, non-prepared, non-planned interviewing, which is how the majority of interviewing happens at average and poor companies, which is the classic story of the three blind guys touching the elephant, right? One guy's touching the tail and thinks it's a vine. One guy touches the leg and thinks it's a tree. One guy touches the trunk and thinks it's a snake. And they're all wrong. The idea that everybody gets to ask their own questions is ludicrous because we're comparing one person through one filter, the filter we've created for one job. It is crazy to think that everybody's of the same caliber and everybody will ask important questions and all of the questions will be different, but those questions will then give us a complete picture as if we're painting by numbers. That would only make sense if we told everybody, you ask questions one, I'll ask questions two, you ask questions three, we'll trust each other, and then we'll have a perfect... No, what ends up happening is somebody asks one and 28 and 94, somebody else asks two, 17 and 80, and we end up with a whole bunch of random dots, and we think we're an impressionist painter, and it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's ludicrous. So it's okay to ask again. And, of course, one of the things we tell people in a preamble for a full-on interview is don't be surprised if you get asked the same question again, because that's an important question for an important skill, trait, ability, or characteristic for the job we're going to have you do. And another thing, maybe they have a second example. They don't have to choose to use the same example. I don't mind if they give me the same example. And folks, if you're worried, if you're worried that a candidate will use the same example every time and therefore somehow get better at answering it so that the guys at the end will say, this guy was super well prepared. Trust me, that never happens. What happens is just the opposite. Candidates were like, oh, they're going to ask me the same questions. This will be easy. And they underemphasize, they underplay it. They act as if I'm going to win the game. This is easy. And their answers later in the day are sloppy and weak. And sometimes they're different. They're talking about the same example and you get conflicting facts, which again would be yeah. a reason to say no. I think that would be bad. It would, I would file that under the category of B for bad. What's happened to you, right? It's happened. It's oh my God. Oh, come on. How many interviews have I conducted? I've seen it all. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. And by the way, it never happens that they get better. But if it did, wouldn't that be a good sign of the candidate? Come on. If, in fact, you are clear that the question you are asking is truly a useful criteria, important and useful criteria for the job, wouldn't that be awesome? 
Yeah, someone who gets better at something the second time they do it. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of this thing, the phone screen, do we need to give them an answer at that point? No. We have no data which shows that asking for questions from them will help you gather useful data during a phone screen. Okay. And we have no data that promising them an answer at the end is somehow appreciated. Now, part of the reason for that is how bad the system is, where almost nobody says no to anybody directly. They just don't get back to them. And everybody hates that on one side. And it just tells you where all the power is in interviewing, that everybody knows when they're being interviewed, they're not going to get an answer back unless it's a yes. And everybody hates that. But everybody does it when they're the interviewer. So clearly, the power in interviewing is all with the interviewer, regardless of what people say about it being a, oh, it's a seller's market, you know. And some of this is just, it's a function of limited time. And if at 29 minutes, you've decided to say no, and you say, I'm sorry, I have to say no, and uh, I've chosen to not bring you into the next step, and then you get four or five frantic questions, hanging up the phone to be on time for your next phone screen is not a way to make friends. Mm. So you end the screen by thanking the candidate telling them you'll either be comparing your thoughts with HR if HR did a screen or you'll be talking to other colleagues and so on figuring out how to proceed to make the next decision and you'll get back to them I generally recommend within a week now if you have 20 candidates to phone screen and it's going to take you two weeks tell them we've got 20 candidates to screen I'm working with um, Julie my HR person she's awesome We've got to dot our I's and cross our T's. And I can't even rule out with 20 candidates, for instance, that I wouldn't do another phone screen. And if somebody were to say, oh, gee, you guys do it a lot. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry about that. I don't want you to think I'm apologizing for the process. I'll follow my sword about our process. But look, I want you to know something. If you come to work here and the process you go through is fair, but full and complete and in detail and probably a little draining, you're going to feel like you jumped over a pretty high wall. And you know that the next guy I hire went over the same wall. There's no favoritism. I'm not going to hire a buddy of mine and let him slip in through the back door. There's no back door here. Everybody goes through the same rigorous process. We only have good people here. And frankly, I'm going to be really lazy and say, the better hiring process I have, the easier it is for me to manage. And if you're good enough, I want you to know you went through something that proves you're good enough. Now, look, you may not choose to come here, and that would be painful for us because it's hard for us to say yes. But hopefully you'll see the kind of people we are. We're good people. We care about people. We're, we're nice people to work with, and we have high standards. Um, but we do it in a way that's palatable. And I want you to work with other people who have your standards. So that's why we do it this way. This might be something we should we should cover it another time. So if so, just tell me and I'll, I'll drop the question. But it occurs to me some folks might be wondering about the selection process for bringing people to do face-to-face -face interviews. So for example, if I'd done phone screens of, let's say 10 or 15 people, just making up a number, and seven of them, I, don't, I haven't found a reason to say no. And one could argue if I found, if I found seven that could pass, maybe, maybe I'm not, not being, maybe the standard's not high enough, but let's just forget that for now. I got seven. Would you recommend bringing all seven or yeah. would some, you would, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, okay, I'm going to bring back the, the top two or the top three. No, I'd bring back all seven and I'll tell you why, because I believe our process is designed to say no. 
If you're looking for reasons to say yes, then maybe you ought not to bring back all seven. Mm -hmm. Because if you're looking for reasons to say yes, you're going to find a lot more than seven, and you're going to crush the logistics of your work getting done once you start interviewing. That's part of the reason why people hate interviewing. The underlying reason why so much is hated is because people look are looking for reasons to say yes. That means logistically you can find it, and that means you end up bringing in a lot of bad people because they haven't been screened well enough, and it involves perhaps a lot more people doing a lot more interviewing. No, because I believe the process designed to say no, because I believe the process does that, it makes it easy for me to decide, nope, I just don't feel good about this person, even if it's only in my gut. If, in fact, I get through a bunch of phone screens and I like seven of them, and I'm assuming what you said is true about this scenario, that we believe the criteria is reasonable. In other words, we're not, um, we don't have too lax a criteria. No, bring them all in. And we talk about this at the Effective Interview Conference where we say, you bring five people in and you rank order one to five. Should you hire number one? The answer to that is no. You should not hire the person who's ranked number one. You should only hire the person who ranks number one if, in fact, number one, and maybe two or three or four or five, I don't know, that he meets or she meets the criteria. We don't compare one to five. We compare each one to the standard. If, in fact, I brought in seven and two of them made it through, I'd go talk to my boss and he would know how hard it is for me to hire people. And I said, I actually found two. It's like I was in a gold mine and I found some platinum laying on the side. (laughs) Oh, no, I wouldn't want to pick that up. I'm only here to get gold. Right? Right. That would be crazy. So, no, I'd bring all seven in. But, again, if you're listening going, oh, gosh, I wouldn't do that. I only bring in two. There's a whole list of problems with that, which we'll cover in future casts, but that's probably because you're looking for reasons to say yes, and I'm looking for reasons to say no, and when somebody makes it through one of the gates, I start again getting excited about them. Not excited like I'm going to offer them, but excited like I want to learn more, all of which designed to try to find reasons to say no. Yeah. Okay, so it's phone screen. It's kind of a binary decision. It's either yes or no, and if it's yes, I'm bringing them in. Yeah, and if it's maybe, then it's no. Then it's no. That's right. Right. That's yeah. right. That that would be three. I said it's binary. It's one, two. It's it's two things. Yes or no. Yeah. Yes or no. Yeah. So summarizing real quickly, guys. Uh, phone screen is great way to narrow your candidate pool. You only need thirty minutes. You can get involved with HR, but you don't necessarily need to do that. It'd be great if you had a great HR partner. Um, you call, give them a brief overview. Start with tell me about yourself. Ask a couple of those behavioral interviewing questions if you've got time. And again, you don't have to tell them your answer at the end. The planning and logistics and the time and expense of this are justified because having an additional screening filter between resumes and final interviews keeps you from having too many people to interview. And the process is simple. And now you know it. All right, my friend. Thank you. Anytime, partner. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. This podcast was produced by Manager Tools. Manager Tools creates actionable management guidance every single week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter and to find products for situations you may face as a manager or professional, go to www.manager-tools.com. Search for Manager Tools on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.